This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Sports History Network Showcase, our in-house show featuring SHN podcasters talking sports, talking history, and talking sports history. My name is Oz Davis, host of the Sports History Network's Truly the Goats podcast. Joining us this time on the showcase is Ariel Gonzalez of Wrestling with Heels on the new show here at Sports History Network. Ariel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's get into it. First question they usually ask any fan of wrestling. Well, I think what's great about pro wrestling is that it is life, without sounding too uh, highfalutin here, but it is really life on a um, microscopic scale, right? I mean, we have good guys, bad guys, you have all the drama that's inherent in everyday life, a size down to a squared circle, and everything is contained in there. It's really a soap opera between two people uh, played out before a huge crowd. And, you know, it, it, it's really just life boiled down to two people in a squared ring. And it's exciting and, um, and dramatic. Let's talk about first about your own fandom. How did you become a fan? Well, um, I was probably nine or 10 years old when I first started watching professional wrestling. Uh, my father introduced me to it. Um, we would watch together on Saturdays. Most of the time when we watched together, it was midnight wrestling. Because at the time, uh, WWOR, which was the um, Secaucus station in New Jersey. <laughs> um, they had pro wrestling on WWF was on three times a day. It was on 11 a.m., uh, 5 p.m. if they didn't have a Mets game on, <laughs> and then at midnight. So uh, I was on a steady diet of professional wrestling every Saturday. <laughs> I was watching it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't miss it. You couldn't miss it. Um, and then at midnight, uh, that's when my dad and I would just get together and watch and uh, He'd tell me who was who and, you know, who had a feud with who. And um, it was great. It was not only was a great bonding time for, for he and I, but it was also really just a good introduction into athletics in general. Because, you know, um, I wasn't questioning whether it was real or not back then. I, oh, sure. I took it. Yeah, I took it for granted. This is real deal. People are hurting each other and these are real athletes and, um, you know, how did two men get in there and beat the crap out of each other <laughs> all, all this time and, and not wind up on stretchers, you know? Um, but uh, that was my introduction to, to wrestling. Saturdays were my day. So this is like the mid eighties, right? Uh, this was, uh, yeah, late, late seventies, early eighties, oh, wow. early eighties. Okay. Yeah. Early so talking about, okay. Okay. Yeah. Probably 81, 80, 81. Okay. So who are some of your early favorites? Early favorite wrestlers? Um, well, Bob Backlund was a, was a favorite champion because I was so impressed by Bob Backlund because he took on all comers. This was a guy who 
nowadays, I mean, probably would never be considered a champion because of his size. And he had that um, baby face look, you know, he looked like Howdy Doody a little bit and um, probably wouldn't be the, the, the champ that he was back then. But he had so, so much wrestling talent that he could take on all comers. He was taking on guys as big as Big John Studd to guys that were as, you know, small as like Playboy Buddy Rose or, uh, you know, Don Morocco, another great bad guy. Um, you know, so he, Bob Backlund took him on all. And, and he, he was a great champion. I think he really was a people's champion. He really was. And I never, never saw him back down from anybody. Well, he, so he was one he, of my favorites. He came out of the classical wrestling tradition, didn't he? Yeah, I believe he was a college wrestler. Yeah, that's um, what very I was much, yeah. Very much in the vein of like Kurt Angle, um, people like that, yeah. Kurt Henning, yeah. people that had really solid uh, 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 amateur wrestling backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, because he, he, he used to wear like the classic uh, uniform. Yeah, right? the singlet. Uh, yeah, like he had strap. that singlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. That yeah. nobody wore anymore at that, that time. Nobody, right. Yeah, everybody was dropping that, right? Uh, right. So... Wow. Okay, I gotta, I gotta stop right now and apologize to the listeners who are not fans of early '80s uh, professional wrestling, but this is hitting me right in the sweet spot. Just like professional wrestling hit us right in the sweet spot. I mean, there are certain things uh, for people who are that age at that time that uh, just got us and hooked us. MTV, uh, Pac-Man, and professional wrestling, <laughs> especially the WWF. Right. I mean, this stuff was catnip for especially boys our age at this time. Mm -hmm. So apologies to, to the listeners for that. Um, well, let me ask you this. From my perspective, as somebody getting into sports history heavy these days, uh, to me, history is becoming less and less of a big deal to sports fans. And I think even more so in something like professional wrestling. So how did you get into wrestling history? Well, you know, I've always been curious. I mean, I think part of the lore of wrestling, it's like going to a magic show. Um, you sit there and you watch the magician and you love the tricks, but always in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how did they do that? How did that happen? And who is this guy really? Um, so that's, uh, that was my gateway into trying to find out more about the wrestlers, who they were in real life and um, getting into the, the nitty gritty of, of uh, what was behind the scenes. What, what does it take to put on a wrestling match? And um who, and who were these people behind the masks, the characters that they were playing? So that was my entry point into wanting to know more about the history um, and then finding out who these people really were and then delving into their um, biographies. So, so finding out more about what they were like when they weren't in the ring. Um, I was, you know, just like you would with a favorite actor, right? You wouldn't just take the movies at face value, you'd say, well, yeah, I'd like to know what, what the Bruce Willis is like when he's not on the screen, you know? <laughs> um, so um, that's the kind of curiosity that that got me into the history of wrestling. Right. And then 
you delve into the story of somebody like Jake the Snake Roberts, and then you wish you hadn't. Right, right. That's a sad, yeah, sad story. There actually is a documentary, a full-on documentary about him now. Uh, he was part of another documentary that I recently reviewed on the Game Film podcast here at the Sports History Network. And and then somebody, I guess, saw this 20 minutes of this documentary film and then made a whole documentary about him. And it's some wild stuff. Even if you're yeah. not particularly into wrestling. Wow. Talk about yeah. like a fascinating degenerate lifestyle. You know, really amazing. But this guy was hardcore. I remember the first time I've seen uh, anything about Jake the Snake was in a movie called Beyond the Mat. Yes, that's the one. That's the one that we watched, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I believe that one covered Mick Foley as well as The Rock. Right. And um, it really focused on Mick Foley. And, but then when they went into the Jake the Snake stuff, that, that was so, just so depressing. And it, it really shed that dark, yeah, that dark side of, of the professional wrestling that many people, including myself, had no idea really existed you know you know you'd heard rumblings about it but to see jake the snake living it out um was very very depressing and eye-opening you know well now we kind of do right because of the wrestling uh did you enjoy that movie what did you think of that i did i enjoyed that movie immensely i first of all i was always a big mickey rourke fan yeah and um when i saw the wrestler i said this is probably the closest they're going to get to a rocky wrestling movie <laughs> in my lifetime anyway and uh that's what it reminded me of it reminded me of rocky and just had it had a lot of emotional ring to it i love that they they took the sport seriously they didn't make it a joke um and they and they made that the, the work that these guys do the men and the women that are in, in wrestling um it's real work it's it's painful when you see people getting hurt um when you see just like you said a little while ago these people are doing this 12 months a year, you know, there is no break for them. There is no off season. They work hard, and um, it's sad later on in life when they they pay for it physically. But um, they're hardworking people, and and bad things happen to them, you know, as well. Okay, we're gonna shift gears here because ostensibly the show is about doing podcasts for the Sports History Network. Uh, How did you get into the podcasting game? Well, um, I'm very new to this. Very new to this. Um, I. So far, I've done. I have two shows in the can, so to speak. I um, my first show was on Blackjack Mulligan. My second show that just came out was on Abdullah the Butcher. Um, how I got into it, it's kind of funny. Um, I have a good friend of mine at work named Frank Redding, and Frank, I believe you recently interviewed Frank. Frank, um, no, I got him coming up. Oh, you got him coming up. Okay, he'll be on the next episode of. SHN Showcase. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Frank is a walking encyclopedia, in, in, in my opinion. He knows so much about a lot of different topics. And he and I got to talking one day at work. And um, he knew so much about boxing. And I knew uh, a, a, a bit about boxing from just from an introduction that I had to, with my dad. And um, so we were talking about the same history. And I told Frank, I said, Frank, I said, you know, you need, you need a podcast, man, because you have so much information. I feel like you're depriving all these people, all that wealth of, of knowledge that you have in your brain. So you, you have to have an, an avenue to let that out. So somehow, like uh, maybe a month later or so, Frank gets back to me and goes, hey, Ariel, guess what? Uh, I got a podcast. 
<laughs> you got a podcast. That's amazing. He goes, yeah. And, and you know, I want to thank you for pushing me in that direction. So uh, a little bit later on, he asked me, um, he introduced me to Arnie and uh, he said, Hey, uh, would you like to meet Arnie Chapman? And um, introductions were made. And I told Arnie that, you know, I had a, a little bit of an inkling of wanting to get into the, to the podcast arena myself. And um, he facilitated that. And uh, I've been very lucky and I, and I love it. I mean, I, I'm wondering why I didn't do this sooner. Hi, everyone. My name is Ariel Gonzalez, originally from Brooklyn, now living in the Garden State. I have a new podcast show called Wrestling with Heels On, brought to you by the Sports History Network, of course. On the podcast, I get to reminisce about my favorite wrestling bad guys from yesteryear. Light on stats, but heavy on nostalgia. This little trip down Villainy Lane gives me a chance to visit the dark corridors of my wrestling soul. And it's also fun to have a podcast. So join me as I wax nostalgic about my favorite wrestling weirdos and ne'er-do-wells, the no-goodniks of a no-longer time that still haunt me today. Just keep in mind, like some people my age, my recall of people and events can get a little wobbly sometimes, so don't worry if I get it wrong. Oh, what do you expect? I'm wrestling with heels on. All right. Let's talk about wrestling with heels on now i've listened to i mean you say you have two episodes but you actually have like two and a half right because you have the introductory episode oh yeah that's right which i think is actually very good as well now um the second the second episode is about one of my all-time favorites we rarely saw him uh, <laughs> on the tv back in my day because he wasn't really wwf what was he like awa like like he was in one of these other leagues. He was everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah. I really caught him in the WWF, and uh, but he was notorious. You know, he, he used to buy the magazines, and he, there'd always be a story about Abdul the Butcher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a classic. Yeah. So, but in general, um, tell the listeners, please, explain the concept of your podcast. Sure. So for me, the podcast is about it's not just about um, picking out villains because I, if I wanted to, I could, I think anybody could just go through a laundry list of villains and say, okay, this villain was great. This villain was great. It's how each of these villains affected me. It's a very, it's taken from a very personal vantage point of how the villain impacted my life, whether it was my relationship with my dad or whether it was, um, maybe a fear it instilled in me or um, like the first episode with, with Blackjack Mulligan was, you know, was not just about Blackjack Mulligan. It was kind of a little bit about censorship, a little bit about what's, what's scary about the things we don't see as opposed to the things we see. And very often our imaginations, whatever is lurking in there is a lot scarier sometimes than what we actually see, you know? Um, so there's a little bit of subtext in there. There's a little bit of uh, a lot of personal um, stuff that comes out, but it's all connected to how the villain brought this out in me because these are people, these are um, wrestlers that had an impact beyond the match, an impact in my imagination, an impact on me emotionally. And um, that's the perspective that I take. 
Really interesting. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that answer. I'll be honest with you. Uh, very good. Uh, all right. Let me ask you this though. I want I want to pick a little bit here because I was thinking about this, and really, doesn't almost every wrestler that you can think of, maybe not Abdullah the Butcher, but almost every wrestler you can think of, take at least one turn at being the good guy and one turn at being the bad guy. I mean, I remember when Hulk Hogan became a bad guy. It's like mm -hmm. the last guy in the world, or Andre the Giant, you know, the last dude, Superfly Snooker, that you mm -hmm. would suspect to become a bad guy. So how do you make the distinction? Who's a bad guy? Who's a good guy? Or who's a heel? Who's a face? I'm sorry. I should use the nomenclature. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I get my uh, wrestling nomenclature messed up too. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Frank is actually excellent at that. When you talk to him, he'll he'll tell you all that stuff. <laughs> he'll straighten you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He straightened me out. <laughs> but um, you know, I think it's it, just like anything. These these. These wrestlers find their niche. Um, some of them have been both, right? Good guys, bad guys. Some of them even vacillate between the two throughout the years. They're, they're, you know, you can't even keep track anymore. Who's good guys? Who's bad guy? I think the the best wrestlers, in my opinion, are people like like Ric Flair. They straddle that line, so they're so good that when they're bad, they're good, and when they're good, they're bad. It's like the audience loves them no matter what. Because um, Ric Flair has that ability. Um, I think Don Morocco had that ability where he was just so good that eventually that line of good uh, between heel and babyface, that line diminishes and, and, it, and you can't see it anymore. Blurs, right? Undertaker's another one. It's yeah, yeah. I was, just, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that he unleashed a whole sub subculture of fans. Right. You know, yeah. we're like, we're, I mean, these are almost like Oakland Raider fans. You know, we're going to embrace, <laughs> we're going to embrace the bad guy, right? We're yeah, going yeah, to exactly. be the bad guy, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it yes. makes being bad cool, you know, because of course, of just, course, yeah. yeah right. They're so good at it. They blur that line. And I think um, you can tell when somebody's really pushing an angle, like they're really trying to be the bad guy and it just doesn't work or they're really trying to be the good guy. Um, like like for me, when Hogan went heel, <laughs> I didn't buy it. It didn't, you know, I get it. He changed his, uh, you know, his beard, got grew it in and all that. And that was part of the dark darkness, right? He was bringing into the character. But it just, I just didn't feel it. It was just too many years of him being American pie yeah. and wholesome. And, you know, you know, eat your vitamins, brother, you know, yeah. doing that whole thing. By the way, I do uh, wrestling impersonations as well. <laughs> That's another thing that I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about in the show, too, eventually, okay. is how I started doing uh, wrestling impersonations because um, I was so into it that I would go outside and kids would, um, you know, we talk about the wrestling matches of the day. And all of a sudden, I would, I'd like give them a recap of what was going on and I'd break into a character and then he'd be like whoa you did a good hulk hogan man you know how'd you do that you know so um i think everybody could do macho man savage but while i got you while i got you i'm gonna try not to go down this rabbit hole but there's one that i gotta ask for if you could do it is jesse ventura can you do it jesse 
It's a tough one, but I'm going to try. All right. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. Now, the government has a lot of conspiracies. You know, if you could read a lot of books about what the government says, you know, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it. He's got that Minnesota thing going on. It's not the best. <laughs> that's, my, that's my best, Jesse, you know. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, see, you need to have stuff like that and The Rock in the back pocket because that crosses over these days, right? So you could get, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you, like you just implied, you could get some mileage beyond wrestling out of those impressions. Yes. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of the unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time newspapers.com if you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the sports history network you're probably into sports history and you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to say 1990 online the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless but then there's newspapers.com Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Okay, Ariel, can you give us a teaser for some of your future episodes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have um, an episode coming up soon about uh, the magnificent Don Morocco. And that episode has a little bit of a twist to it because it's not going to be me talking necessarily. It's got a little bit more of a, a parody angle to it. Um, and I also have an episode that I may be doing very shortly with Mr. Frank Redding of Ringside with Redding, uh, where we're going to talk about the boxing wrestling connection and how those two um, sports have met in the past, sometimes with good results, most of the time with disastrous results. <laughs> so we're going to have some fun with that. We were talking a bit before the show, and you again, you kind of surprised me saying that you don't really follow wrestling so much anymore these days. Why not, if I may ask? 
Well, you know, um, I think there came a point where it, it started to uh, become more about the storylines. Well, I think, let me just take it from this road. When WCW and WWF were competing, I was at the apex of my fandom. Um, I really enjoyed that time. Um, and sometimes I was flipping back and forth uh, between the two uh, wrestling uh, organizations. Even though I was more inclined to watch WCW, um, I was definitely switching back and forth. And when they became one and they merged, um, I said to myself, you know what, this is, this is not going to be good. This is going to be boring. I'm, I'm basically, I like choices. And I like to be able to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to watch. And I felt like choice disappeared and it all kind of became very homogenized. And um, that's when I lost interest. I lost interest. I, I really felt like, oh, wow. So this is really just about one man, one organization. And um, forget about competition. I kept hoping that someone would emerge uh, and give WWF a run for its money or WWE a run for its money, but, you know, it never really happened. And uh, I wasn't into the hardcore wrestling stuff. I, I know that that was also a, a, an alternative, but um, as much as I love Abdullah the Butcher, <laughs> I really was not into watching people, you know, hit each other with the head with um, metal chairs and jumping off of a barbed wire uh, rope oh, and stuff geez. like that. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get this. There's a base for that. And, and that's cool. I'm not going to put it down, but it's just not for me because it's at that point, it's just, um, it's just kind of like uh, stunts, you know, stunts. It's, it's a lot of uh, uh, gimmickry, so to speak. And I, I really miss the old time wrestling. I know they call it wrestling, but it, I miss the wrestling part of it, the part where people were just, it was all about skills, about personalities clashing in the ring and settling feuds. Um, and sometimes I think that all that has gone by the wayside and what really has come down to is a lot of uh, showmanship, a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of gimmickry. And, mm -hmm. um, and that, that, that's good for this crowd. I think it's a different, you know, every generation has its favorite wrestlers, it's like every generation has its favorite James Bond, right? Um, you're gonna you're gonna float in one direction, and that's cool. I, I'm never gonna knock any of that, but I, I'm just I know what appealed to me, and uh, the day that WCW and WWE became one was when I, you know, I took a nosedive. Hmm. Interesting. You bring up a good point about the homogenization, and it's and it's pretty wild if you think about it that. Uh, when he took over the lead, or the association, I guess you'd call it, from his father, uh, Vince McMahon Jr., by the way, <laughs> um, right. took his league from being, you know, a regional concept, you know, New England and, and Quebec, and going worldwide, uh, bringing it worldwide, and in fact, making wrestling a household name in countries where. It wasn't before, you know. I mean, yeah, of course, Mexico, Japan, you know, these countries have been fascinated with wrestling since, you know, professional wrestling since day one. But, you know, it's reaching places in Europe, 
you know, like England is really getting into it, for example. Um, yeah. you know, Canada is completely enraptured at this point. I don't know if they were into it in the 80s, but right now, it's, I almost know more Canadian wrestling fans than Canadian football fans at this point. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, and it's ironic that in so doing, I mean, he basically laid waste to the entire wrestling environment. Yeah, it basically became, you know, almost a trust situation like uh, Major League Baseball or any of the major sports leagues. Have in the US. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just total domination just of the market. He just laid to waste every other league, you know, because when, when yeah. I was a kid, you had alternates. You had tons of alternate leagues. But... Yeah, you did. And and I think we were talking about the geography and, and how, um, you know, you had regional wrestling. I love that. There was there was a time when I was growing up where, um, you know, there was a, a Spanish station that you could tune into. It was a Channel 47 in New Jersey. I think it was WNJU. Um, but what I would do is I would go to that channel and I, I only found out through other kids. Other kids in my class would be like, hey, if you want to watch Florida wrestling, tune into the Spanish station <laughs> after hours at 1130. You can watch championship wrestling from florida and i said get out of here so i would you know sneak sneak around my mom and my dad because they thought i was in bed sleeping and i'd watch um this florida wrestling and i'd be like whoa i'd meet people like ron bass you know uh the the the, the funk brothers terry and dory yep i never heard of these guys before because they were never in the wwf so all of a sudden my wrestling world opened up and i was able to see all these really cool wrestlers that I didn't know anything about. Um, and so it was great. And so regional stuff was awesome. Or, or even um, WTBS. I mean, TBS at the time had the Georgia wrestling. Great stuff, you know, Ted, through the Ted Turner uh, network. But, yeah, you know, this was all stuff. If you didn't have cable or if somebody didn't give you some inside information like that, how else were you going to know about this stuff other than wrestling magazines, you know? Well, even, even cable is limited to... You know, I mean, I remember for some reason uh, in New England on Saturdays, we used to get uh, the Texas, Texas League, whatever that was. And the 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 awesome thing about that one is that every week they had proper matches. Now, back mm -hmm. in the day, back in the day of the WWF, when Vince Jr. first took over, um, it was every week. You would have eight matches on a card, and it would be name versus SD Jones, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like Sancho. There was a Sancho, I forget what his last name was. Right, right. Sancho Morales or something like that. Right, so right. Just <laughs> some dude to beat on, you know, and it was yeah. just like, it was so brutal. And so, but to get this Texas stuff was great because, you know, you had proper matches every week. And um, but I've noticed is that this is something in our lifetime that has happened because of internationalism, like it or not, is that this homogeneity takes over all the sports. The thing about, like, for example, college football bowl games that was great when you were kids is you'd get something like BYU versus, you know, Texas A&M. And these would be totally different styles of football. You know, they, they had only played you know, uh, schools from their area. And there were certain things that happened in your area. And this is the way you played football. And then you meet this totally different perspective in a bowl game. 
and it was great. Mm -hmm. But or World Cup soccer is another example. All these teams used to play very differently. Now they look closer and closer and closer alike, and that's just because of internationalism. That's just because of the and, and this homogeneity is taking over all the sports. Uh, kind of happening, yeah. but. I guess if you're a wrestling fan, you have high hopes these days for all elite wrestling, uh, which is shaping shaping up to be the AFL of, of professional wrestling. But yeah, which is great. I mean, competition competition is always good in any industry, and uh, you know that's I, I always hope for that. And um, it's it, the winners are the fans. When you get more choice. The fans always win, and and that's the way it should be. I think also too that you know because you asked me about history um, earlier. You know, um, because of the internet, because of YouTube, and the accessibility. I had a conversation with a friend about this not too long ago too. We were talking about now how everything is so accessible these days that history it kind of cheapens history because you know there was a time when you'd have to. If you were really curious about history, you'd have to really go out and search, do out, do some research, maybe go to a library, maybe, um, you know, talk to somebody who had some knowledge about a particular sport, some expertise. Um, nowadays, you know, if I want to look up a video or an old time fight, I just go on YouTube and, and do that. And although that's, there's some benefit to that. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm not saying it's, it's bad. I'm just saying that it's so easy to do that it takes all the all the fun out of delving into history. It, it makes it so accessible, so easy. Well, see, you say that, but here's the thing, okay? And I know that there is some wrestling stuff from, let's say, the 80s, okay? This, this era that we keep talking about. I know that there's some of that stuff on YouTube, okay? But all of this stuff is heavily weighted to guess what? Now, right? The 21st right. century at very least, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the further you go back, the less likely you are to get video, the less likely it is for anybody to remember it, right? So, so the internet is also killing, you know, it may be great that you have video and stuff online, but every, it, it's almost like every time you put up a historical video, that's one other part of history that people are going to forget because it doesn't have a video. Right. So, right. so the internet. You know, is, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, and, and it means interrupt. But you, you know, you can also never capture the feelings that you had when you first saw it. So you you can watch whatever you want on YouTube, and uh, that's somebody who put that up there. They might remember what they felt when they first watched that, and they put it on YouTube. But you are just watching it like secondhand, thirdhand, right? But there's nothing like remembering something when you first saw it, you know, because there's a lot more that goes into play than just watching whatever you're watching. It's what were you feeling that day? You know, what, what happened to you before you started watching this? What happened to you afterwards? And so all these little connections are still a part of history. And YouTube and all the social media won't ever really replace that because that's only stuff that comes from inside. Um, and that's what I try to do on my show is to bring that stuff that's inside me that I can't replicate on YouTube. I can't replicate uh, anywhere else other than to draw it out of myself and put it out there. And you'd be surprised 
um, as I was from my first show when I got very, really nice reactions from a lot of people who said, yeah, I remember something similar to that or, you know, and then that made me feel good because I said, wow, so I'm not the only one who felt that way. That's good. You know, you make that emotional connection because um, history is emotional. It's, it's, a, it's, a living, it's a living thing, you know. All right. That's a great capper. Ariel Gonzalez of Wrestling With Heels On, a Sports History Network podcast. Thanks for joining us so much on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. This has been Sports History Network Showcase Podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Ariel Gonzalez, of the Wrestling With Heels On podcast. The theme song for the SHN Showcase is Quartz by Tech. And it is available through a fair use agreement via freemusicarchive.org. SHN Showcase will be back soon with another Sports History Network podcast. Until then, this is Oz Davis saying stay safe and stay historical.